Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hey everyone, you're on air with Tilly and Ella. Hey Tilly, how are you? I'm good, Ella. How are you? I am doing great. Now, tell us what we're talking about today. Okay, listeners probably are aware that we're doing these 21-day challenges. They're, they're super fun. We start on the first of every month, and this month, so, so that's October if you're listening in real time, we did a very simple challenge, 21 days of movement. Basically, we open a Facebook group. It's free. You join this private Facebook group. You take a challenge to do 21 minutes of movement every day, and we all see what we learn about ourselves, about behavior change, about habits, all of that kind of stuff. It's a kind of, it's almost like a research group at the same time as a support <laughs> group. You know, it's just lovely. But this month's challenge, the 21 days of movement has thrown up some fascinating insight. It's, um, I mean, essentially we're just asking people to exercise every day, but the emotional and the intellectual stuff that, that has come up is brilliant. Yeah. And a question that has come up for us in this group over and over again, and honestly, well before this challenge is, does moving your body every day for just a few minutes really make any difference at all? Yeah, no, really. I, th I think a lot of people feel like, look, if it's going to just be a small amount of movement for a small amount of time, really, why, why bother? Yeah. And I think so many of us are so programmed to want instant results. And you know, I've said this before, but we want to like Amazon Prime our bodies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, gonna, I do. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to press this button and go. Okay. And so we wonder if we're doing ourselves any good when we can't immediately see results. And this isn't just about exercise, really. This is in so many areas of our life, right? Everyone loves the Cinderella story, you know, that instant transformation. I, I historically haven't exercised every day. And one of the reasons that I haven't is because I don't have an hour to do it and then to have a shower. So a lot of us and a lot of the listeners have felt that they've got this mentality around like do it properly, do a really big chunk of really sweaty exercise or don't bother doing anything at all. Yeah. And that go big or go home thing, like that's one of the reasons we changed the challenge from 21 days of exercise when we were initially talking about it to 21 days of movement. So it's about moving your body every day the way that it was designed to versus smashing it in the gym or going for a really long run. And as it turns out, and this is what we wanted to talk about on many levels, as it turns out, there's a huge benefit to moving your body just a little bit every day, like way more than we realized for your body, but also your mind. You did some research, Ella, for the group about what, what the physical impact of doing a bit of movement every day is. And I practically fell off my chair, actually. I genuinely didn't know the things that you found out. It's really interesting. Yeah. Okay. So the question on the table is, does this really matter? Can a little bit every day, like, you know, what's the point? And the first way we're going to answer this is just with regard to your health, to your wellness, to your fitness. And I was shocked. Like you said, I was really, really surprised when I started this research because, like I said, I definitely come from the the go big or go home mentality, which of course, Tilly, like results in lots of days of not doing anything because I couldn't quote, do it right. You know what I mean? Ella, the go big or go home quite often results in going home, to be honest, doesn't it? <laughs> and as it turns out, much of the research says that 15 to 20 minutes a day, okay, 15 to 20 minutes a day, five days a week is not just okay. They argue that it is better than one hour, two to three times a week. 
Well, that that sounds almost too good to be true. I mean, exercising less every day is, is, is better than exercising a lot sometimes. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, right. I mean, I was like, well, maybe for some people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but not if their goals are my goals. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But as it turns out, there's a compounding factor when it comes to exercise. It's like compounding interest in your savings account, right? And the frequency is the compounder. So when you are more consistent and more frequent for shorter bouts of exercise, you actually get compounded results. This is actually well-documented. And they're saying that it doesn't even have to be 20 minutes, like 15 minutes counts. I know. And I'm still like, I'm, I'm not kidding you when I tell you that I'm sort of mentally resistant to this, but working out for just 15 minutes, not even 20, not even 21. It comes with a bunch of health benefits from, you know, upping your caloric burn or your metabolic rate and getting in shape, even adding years. I will share the data with you, but even adding years to your lifespan. So, I mean, it's pretty compelling, like a couple of quick facts for people who like data. The calorie burning benefits of the short strength training bouts in the gym keep coming long after you've left the gym. Hang on. What do you mean? So I go to the gym I do 15 minutes of, I don't know, weights or something. And then what, after that, I'm still burning calories just because I did that before. Yeah. And the trick is intensity and resistance. So if you can go higher intensity and add some resistance in there, and some people call it HIT, high intensity interval training, you go a little bit harder, but for a lot less time, you are creating a metabolic ripple effect far after you leave the gym. Like that's pretty cool. Okay. What else? All right. So let's talk about lifespan. Scientists studied participants over a 12 year period. Okay. They weren't messing around. And they found out that people who exercise at a low level, like 15 minute brisk walk. Okay. were 22% less likely to die during the study period than those who didn't exercise at all. And then as they increased the levels of exercise up to a medium intensity, and then an you know, pretty significant intensity. Those numbers went from 22 to 28% to 35% respectively. <laughs> so you're you're 35% less likely to die if you are putting in this time consistently. <laughs> I mean, this is nuts. Why isn't everyone doing that? Right? And get this, okay? Even if longevity, like I'll be honest with you, Tilly, like longevity doesn't get me excited. It's too far in the future. Like I hope it's too far in the future. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll tell you what I do think about is anti-aging because I'm a shallow, shallow person. <laughs> yes. No, I know that about you. Whereas I never worry about my appearance at all, Anna. Yeah. I know. Do you continue? <laughs> That's right. Teach me your ways. Okay. <laughs> Here's the most compelling bit of our, of like the wellness aspect of this. I find this really, really interesting. Anti-aging. High intensity, short duration exercise. Okay. Again, you can call it HIT. You can call it a 15 minute run, whatever you want to call it. It can actually have a profound effect on your aging at the cellular level. Okay. I'm not going to deep dive into this, but the older you get, like the less efficient your energy producing mitochondria become. Okay. It's a big word. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so essentially because of science. Good. I'm following. Carry on. <laughs> because of science. So <laughs> when researchers analyzed three groups of exercisers, and they did this over several months, they just months, by the way, just 12 weeks, they found out that those who did the high intensity interval training actually reversed, reversed age-related degeneration. So the, the short version here is their mitochondria actually worked like those of younger people. And it didn't matter how old they were when they started. It reversed oh my some of the aging. That's remarkable. Okay. Okay. I'm in. 
And somebody commented in our group, they're like, if you told me that there was a supplement that I could take and it only required really 15 minutes of effort and it was generally free and it would have anti-aging benefits and fitness benefits and everything would work better and my hormones would be better balanced. Like I would take that every single day. And yet we do all of these things in our head to keep us from exercising just 15 to 20 minutes a day. Yeah, no, it's extraordinary, actually, when you put it like that. I, I actually find that it's true that, that I mean, the more I work out or whatever, the, the, the more inclined I am to eat well. You know, the easier it is to eat well. It does have a ripple effect, I'd say. Do you find this, like, I definitely eat better on days that I exercise or even just move my body. Like, even if I just go for a walk that I'm, you know, an intentional walk, if you will. But I eat 10 times worse on days that I don't exercise. Like, is that just my own personal brand of neurosis? No, no, it's not. I, th- I think it's really common, actually. And I, it's interesting that it might be physiological as well as psychological. So the case is pretty strong for finding the 15 to 20 minutes and understanding that over time, the effects really add up. Okay, so we have talked about the health benefits, Ella, but as usual, I want to get into the head game, really. So all the research that we do around habits, behavior change, motivation, all of that stuff, it, it kind of really comes to the forefront in this idea of like, why why did we struggle to do 15 to 20 minutes a day of movement? I mean, if you think about it, 15 to 20 minutes a day of something that's not even that much of an exertion, it should it should actually be easy. But in reality, it's not. You know, there was one day that I didn't meet the challenge, you know, like I kind of had a little bit of a hangover and I sat around eating carbs instead of doing what I was supposed to do. And and I know that you were doing something very worthy in a conference center or something. So you didn't make it either. I mean, that's just real life, right? I mean, <laughs> one the part of the challenge is 21 days of consistency and it's really difficult. Like life gets in the way. But the thing that we learn there is if you have a day where you don't keep your promise to yourself, the next day is the most important thing. Like how we rebound speaks far more to our ability to keep a habit than actually being able to do it every single day. And that is huge. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I'm sure we all know it, but it's really important. It's one of those things that once you get it and you start doing it, it changes. But but if you've let yourself down or any of those phrases, like like be very careful because that kind of language, that kind of thinking of, oh gosh, I blew it, is exactly what triggers dropping off the edge of the entire challenge or the entire commitment to yourself. Not criticizing yourself and moving straight forward into the next day is really important and going back to the challenge. And one of the most important things that you achieve from making a commitment and working on the follow through is actually flexing the muscle, becoming the person who keeps their word to themselves. That's the important thing here. Yes, becoming a person who keeps their word to themselves. I can't overstate it enough. It's something I'm really working on. I'm not amazing at it yet at all. And I don't think I'm alone. I think a lot of people struggle with this. I I have a history of keeping my word to other people, perhaps, but not, not so much for myself. Yeah. And this is so common and we've talked about it before, but it's so important. It comes up for us with every single challenge, right? And one thing that I've observed time and time again is that we spend an enormous amount of energy in our heads and we're debating and we're planning or we're rationalizing when we could just spend less energy doing the thing. Oh, yes. It's not an economic model at all. I mean, if you think about the time and energy you put into to thinking about why you're not going, that takes way more time and energy than just getting up and doing the thing, you know. Exactly. But here's the interesting thing. that There's some science around this that people might find useful as well, around the way the brain works. So in neuroscience, um, there's this idea that when you imagine doing something, you 
actually activate the reward centers of your brain that would be active if you had actually done the thing. So I'm thinking about this scientist called Chris Frith, actually. He writes about this. He talks about what he calls mirror neurons. But you get a very similar buzz from thinking about doing something as when you actually do it. And that's really important because if I describe in detail to you, Ella, like imagine that I pick up this knife and I stab it right through my hand and there's blood, you know, you have a physical reaction to a description like that. It's not just a sympathetic reaction. You actually feel a little bit nauseous. You maybe put your hand over your own hand as though it hurt. You you have a physical sensation. And it's because that bit of your brain that would have lit up with some physical pain is lighting up just from thinking about that physical pain. Do, do, do you see what I mean? Why are you doing this to my hand? <laughs> Sorry, Ella. No, the point I'm trying to make is that thinking about doing something has a very similar effect on the brain as doing it. Yeah, no, I mean, I can see that like visualization when it comes to athletic performance or, you know, a speaking engagement, honestly, anything you want to do or achieve, visualization is really, really powerful, which is great if you're coupling it with action. But I guess what you're saying is if you're not, then it can actually backfire. This is my point. Listeners may be able to relate to this. I don't know if anyone here ever went and sort of planned an incredibly healthy lifestyle and bought all the things <laughs> for it and wrote all the scheduling and, and, and everything and then didn't actually do it. And it's because that planning is really satisfying. It's really satisfying because the bit of your brain that says, well done, you achieved something lights up. And actually, you, you didn't do it. You just imagined doing it. So the coupling, I think, is crucial. Okay, so but how do people actually change the pattern? You know what I mean? So the way to sort this out, I think, is first you recognize what you're doing. So judgment free, no self-recriminations. Just when you spot that you are overthinking something, when you're rationalizing it, when you're spending a bit too much time imagining doing it or working out why you can or can't do it, recognize you're doing that and just stop there for a moment. Okay, I get it. So we get curious, like we say, instead of getting judgmental and bashing ourselves for, you know, never doing the thing we say we're going to do and spending a bunch of time self-flagellating. Yes, exactly. That I mean, that pushes you backwards, not forwards. It's just it's not a useful pattern. But then having recognized, okay, so I'm doing the thing, then that's the moment for interrogating yourself. So, so how is this serving me? Because generally, it's a defense seller. You know, when we're over rationalizing, when we're when we're coming up with a lot of sort of secondary stories around something, generally what we're trying to do is put distance between ourselves and the possibility of psychic pain. Like n- nobody likes being hurt or embarrassed or failing or any of the things that we very sensibly try and avoid for most of our lives. So when you catch yourself doing something a little bit irrational, like talking yourself out of something that's very practical for you, Think about what it's actually bringing up. You know, how do you feel about your body? Are you worried about being embarrassed? Do you think you might fail? Have you set it up as something that you have to succeed at rather than just do? You know, have Mm. a look at what the rationalization is underneath that behavior. There can be a million emotional drivers, but if you can dig out where they are, that's what puts you one step closer to pushing back and actually starting to achieve your goals. Okay, so here we are. We're like, does it really matter? Can movement every day actually help me, you know, look and feel the way that I want to? And there's a pretty good case so far, right? Like, We'll be healthier. Our hormones are happier. We age better. And dare I say it, we look better. Can I say that? Yeah, you can say that because we're real people here. But also we need to add in here, we will develop the sense of ourselves as people who have decided to improve something and followed through on that. That's a big deal. 
that's a real shift in believing in yourself. Right. So you're demonstrating, and I have ears for this, that proving to ourselves that we can keep our word is arguably even more important than all the benefits that we led with, right? Like teaching our brain to think differently so that we act differently rather than what we've been doing for so long, Tilly, which is trying to act differently with the same brain. So we fall into the same patterns, the same excuses, the same, you know, the cycles. You know what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying, Ella. This this for me, like this was a real sort of, um, I mean, I'm not there on a lot of it, but this was a real maturing moment for me when I really started to understand what it means. Like, that behavior doesn't come from the outside. It's not a thing you can go and get and put on. That's not how it works. It's an inside job. Everything starts on the inside. Okay, you know this lights me up. We talked about this in episode 139, which was one of the most popular episodes of all time with Jim Fortin. But I'm reading about this obsessively now still. And the verdict is really, really clear and is exactly what you're saying. We can't really change hard habits until we change our beliefs about ourselves, like our actual identity. So showing up every day for yourself is more important, not just because you do the thing, not just because you do the workout, but because it reinforces the identity that you want to build. So instead of dragging yourself to the gym, for example, you're focused on becoming the type of person who doesn't miss workouts. I mean, do you hear the nuance there? It's about building a new identity. The focus is on who you are and not on debating what you do or don't do. I mean, this comes down to the power of language. And I feel, you know, I, I, I do a lot of work around narrative and stories. And and the, the I am statements are just extraordinary, really. You know, in the group, the Facebook group that supports the challenge, we were talking about how, you know, you can you can end up sort of being someone that can run, I don't know, for five minutes, 10 minutes or 50 minutes. I don't mind. But somehow you feel like you still have to get permissions from somewhere else to call yourself a runner or like, Ella, you, you, you talk a lot about how you became an athlete. You gave yourself that identity. Yeah, I chose to say to myself, I am an athlete when I could only run a mile. I chose to start adopting that identity. And just thinking about yourself as someone that's trying to do this thing where you move every day is not going to get you there as quickly as being a person that moves every day. Like it just in terms of your identity, in terms of who you think you are, it's, you know, I am statements are crucial. We had an exercise in the group where everybody had to make an I am statement. And I mean, just reading them changes your chemistry, much less saying them. And if we could accept the fact that conventional wisdom is wrong, like the idea that motivation is the key to habit change. Some people have more of it than others. You know, if you really wanted it, you would do it. Like it's just false, but only about 90% of the time. (laughs) But it's what we're sold 100% of the time. If you land on the right motivation, then you'll get it done. Oh, yes. If I buy that thing, if I follow that person's plan, if if I do what she's doing, you know, that that's the thing that's going to be the thing. And that keeps us looking for the magic bullet, you know, endlessly. So we think that we can't legitimately run or swim or train or do whatever it is until we've done someone's course or bought some expensive kit or got a coach or been approved of in some way but actually you don't have to be qualified to to show up Ella like like you were saying about being an athlete you know you you just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other you don't have to pay for a license to use your own body it does it doesn't matter what standard you do a thing to or how hard or fast you can do it the the fact is it's your body and it's yours to use and you don't need permission for that the motivation is in the doing Ella It, it it doesn't come from outside of you and yet there's still this hard truth 
right? And that is that our real motivation, with with few exceptions, our real motivation is to do what is convenient and to do what rewards us. I mean, this is a really important truth to recognize, and it took me forever to really own the truth of this instead of fighting against it. Our real motivation tends to be to do what's convenient and to do what gives us a reward. Part of the reason that this is true, I think, is because time is a factor. So so the cost of a bad habit, the not doing the good thing, is rarely in the moment, you know. So so there's not an immediate penalty for not working out or not smoking. You know, if you smoke a cigarette, you're not going to die on the spot, right? If you eat four pieces of pizza, that, that you're not going to gain those five pounds then and there. Well, actually, I do, but that's irrelevant. <laughs> so <laughs> I might as well just take them to my body. But... The healthy habit feels like it's costing us right now. Like I have to get up right now and put my trainers on right now and go out and run in the rain right now. That, you know, and that's giving up the cozy pleasure of doing nothing. Whereas the cost of a bad habit is delayed. This is everything for me. So present me, you know, wants to drink the next drink or not turn off the next Netflix show or sit on the sofa instead of getting up for a workout. But future me benefits, right? Like I get that. But right now me pays the price. And so convenience and immediate reward win. Oh, yes, Ella. My trainer is always saying to me, just just make good things easy and make bad things harder to do. It's a constant battle, Ella. It's it's a wonder that anybody ever does anything sensible, actually. I know. And this is the whole punchline. Like this is everything we're talking about today and everything that the challenge has brought to us. It is the just showing up even in small, like easy ways that actually change who we are. And and, and to me, that is just mind blowing because it's not where I come from, Tilly. Instead of trying to master, you know, the perfect habit, the 110% from the start and then giving up because of course, invariably that doesn't work. The trick is to do an easy thing every day, but do it consistently so that then we can improve by degrees. Like it's not as sexy, but wow, it works better. It doesn't appeal to our desire for drama, right? What I want to do is wake up tomorrow and train as though I'm about to do a triathlon. But actually, what is more likely to have a long-term benefit to my life is if I get up tomorrow and while I'm making the beds, I do a few squats because that's more likely to stick. And then and then we're in the world of iterations, Ella. I don't know if people know the app Couch to 5K, but it teaches you to run. And in week one and two, you're like, oh, I, I can do a bit more than this, guys. You know, it feels very, very easy. But the truth is, because you make that incremental change, you move into a world where you can do hard things because you're getting better by degrees. You know, if you get better by one degree every day from from now, you know, in by the new year, you, you've changed 60 degrees of your behavior. It's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I think about this from the negative point of view and I get it immediately, right? But for some reason, I'm trying to train my brain to think about it from the positive point of view. So what I mean is think about the things that we don't want to happen that happen by degrees. Like we fall off of the exercise by degrees or we gain weight by degrees, you know, tiny, tiny changes every day. And then three months down the road, two years down the road, you find yourself in a different place. But when we flip the script, we can make tiny actions every day work for us? Like, why can't I get this through my head? So three months from now, we're noticing that our clothes fit better, our skin looks better, you know, or we're leaning toward better food naturally. You know, we want it to be sexy and dramatic, like you said, but the truth is it's tiny things every day. It just is. 
Yeah. Radical change actually only happens in the past tense. It's when people tell stories, you know, when people say, and that's when I decided to leave my destructive relationship, or that's when I decided to work out every day or, but actually those are stories we tell looking back over things in the moment, in the reality, it, there isn't a great big moment. What happens is we incrementally build better and better behaviors. So no act is too small. I would argue that some acts are too big, but no act is too small if you're ticking in the right direction. It's so true that the little choices that we make every day add up to our whole life. Yes. So, I mean, of course, the best time to start is in the past, but you didn't. So it's always got to be now. You know, it's your thing, Ella. It's start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. Okay. So present me is trying really hard to appreciate the benefits for future me. But what I'm realizing is, Tilly, instead of fighting that battle all the time, I need to make it easy. Like I need to make it easy and convenient and do what's easy now because easy for me today will evolve. So Ella, if we're going to answer the question at the top of the show, you know, does a small amount of exercise make any difference? Yes, massively. You live longer, you feel better, all of those things, but also you learn to be someone that does the things you want to do. It doesn't get better than that, really. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com, where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.